they passed through a tunnel of rock in the mountain's shoulder, into an artificial ravine, ablaze with varicolored flowers and foliage of many varieties of tree and shrub, which grew there in great profusion. Down below, where the trees were thickest, a clear stream gushed between the rocks. They've gone through a small tunnel and they've emerged into a, yeah, a, a ravine with a kind of gushing stream at the bottom. Uh, and, and actually, at this moment, it almost like bursts. The, the language has been very ornate, both in the Hawks and in the original. And it's almost as if like mid-sentence, it bursts into a kind of poetry. Mm. Uh, in the Hawks, it's, you know, it's a separate, it's kind of like a separate section. Uh, yeah, it's actually formatted as poetry, isn't it? But in the original, it's it's just sort of um, integrated into the text. So maybe I could read the Hawks here. Uh, in a green ravine, a jade stream sped. A stair of stone plunged to the brink. Where the water widened to a placid pool, a marble baluster ran around it. A marble bridge crossed it with triple span, and a marble lion's maw crowned each of the arches um and so you see i, I think some of the same images right so we have these um these rich colors these still and serene bodies of water and then also the uh i guess the bodies of ferocious and powerful beasts mm. so it seems kind of consistent right yeah yeah absolutely um it's pretty good, I, I think. Like, uh, I, I'm normally pretty full of praise for 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 Hawks, um, yeah. and I think that he does uh, a great job of this this you know sudden segue into poetry. Um, mm -hmm. There is there is one kind of, I suppose, he says a stair of stone kind of plunged to the brink. Uh, mm -hmm. In the Chinese, it says that it sort of pierces the clouds. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, why did he change that? We we get a similar sense of what it's like. I guess it's you know it's the sense it evokes is very much precipitousness or steepness. Uh -huh. You know, I you know I guess the clouds are the brink of our terrestrial being, right? Yeah, so it kind of is in a metaphorical sense the brink of reality. Hmm. Uh. <laughs> and so this this uh, this triple span bridge that's mentioned in the um in the little poem there uh, 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 i'm imagining it like you have kind of two sloping sides and then a single flat span in the middle that that's kind of the way i picture it and uh at this uh, kind of apex of the bridge you have a small pavilion 
sitting on top of the bridge itself, kind of built into it. And so they stop there, and this is uh, this is kind of poem two, isn't it? This is this is round two. Yes, yes, it is. So I guess the first suggestion is Yoting uh, Iran, uh, and which is a reference to the Pavilion of the Old Drunkard. This is Ouyang Xiao's. Yeah, they they he calls it the Poised Pavilion. Ah, the poised pavilion, yeah. Because Iran is like something like wings or fins. So the fin-like pavilion, I suppose. So poise in, poise in that sense. Okay, like poised for flight, I, maybe. Exactly, kind of, I, I imagine sort of like perched aloft. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that, there it is, yeah. You know, but because the way it's, it's in this very kind of like steep, grammatic landscape with water kind of gushing below. Um, so that's a reference, yeah, from the the 11th century uh, uh, Song Dynasty poet, uh, Ouyang Shou, uh, yeah. from his Zui Wang Tingji, is uh, yeah. records from Drunkard Pavilion. Yeah, yeah. Zui Wang is exactly that, the drunk. Oh, Wang is kind of like, it's a, it suggests like a, a, an older man. So yeah, the old drunkard's pavilion. So Jia Zheng thinks that that's quite good. But um yeah. But he thinks that there should be some reference to the water itself, right? Yeah. But I guess from that poem there's one of the lines from it if I, is uh it mentions gushing water. Uh yeah. Xie, yeah. Um so xie exactly is it's to gush out, but unfortunately, because of that meaning, in my mind, it also I think it's used in relation to diarrhea as well. Sadly, <laughs> uh, although that doesn't seem to be, that doesn't seem to be picked up here. They, he very much wants that that character Xie, gush to be used. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so one of the the hanger-ons suggests uh, Xie Yu, uh, gushing jade. Gushing jade, um, which I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> not good enough. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, it's okay. I don't. Yeah, but I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I really love it. Um, and here, I think Baoyu's criticism is uh, is accurate in that you know the original poem really did uh, describe swiftly flowing water, water that yeah. really was gushing. But the water here is, it's more, it's at most a kind of uh, like a trickle, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a small stream, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas I guess what he, what um, Ouyang Xiao was describing would have been a, exactly that, you know, a, a more of a kind of torrent. And he also says that it's not a good idea to refer to the drunken master the old the old drunkard's pavilion in something which is for which may be used by the emperor because he might misinterpret that as a slight against him even you know like yuan chuan now is uh guifei she's a imperial concubine uh and, and so she's she's moved up in status you can't be she can't be staying at a drunkard's pavilion yeah uh, that's true it's not you know in accordance with uh, 
ritual propriety. That's very true. So he suggests a slightly different one, which is uh, drenched blossoms rather than gushing jade. Yes. Um, so it's two very similar characters in, I guess, in meaning. So he suggests rather than xie, they use qin, which is uh, also related to water and wetness, but it's a, it's a it's more like seep seeping or kind of almost percolating mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah so drenched blossoms yeah in the hawks which i think is pretty good i, I like that yeah yeah um i was searching around for other uses of chin uh and there's it's it's used occasionally in place names and there's a few poems that use it uh, hmm. But this seems to be relatively original. It's not. It's not like a clear reference to anything. And the, the Fang fragrance we've already seen in connection with Chingqing, and also the the fragrant essence in Chapter Five. Yeah, it's fragrance. It's greenness, but it also has a a kind of implied like goodness and virtue associated with it somehow. I also think it's kind of good because it it evokes the uh, olfactory sense. Yeah. Uh, so we, we tend to think of these gardens. I mean, I'm not sure who we is, but it's easy to think of the gardens in terms of their site, you know, and, and the colors they have and the, you know, but I, another part of the garden is, you know, the, the, the smell, maybe even the sounds, right? Um, and so this, this name, I, I think, evokes both sight, but also smell. And maybe even sound a little bit with the percolating. It's kind of um, it has this aural um, resonance, maybe. Yeah, it has a slight. You know, to me, it has almost like a kind of a babbling brook yes. kind of quality. Yes. Right. Um. So, his father Jia Zhang hears it, hears this, and he's he pauses for thought for a bit. And he, he kind of strokes his beard or tugs at his beard. He does this quite a lot through the chapter, actually, <laughs> the, the stroking of the beard. Yeah, that's his, um, like, his Freudian uh, tell. Yeah. And he says, well, you know, that's just two characters. There needs to be a poem, like a rhyming couplet to accompany this. So why don't you give me that now? You know, compose a poem quickly, you know. And so all of the poems, they're all done in a, through this chapter, they're, the couplets are done in a similar way, which is a kind of seven-character form, right? So it's two lines of seven characters. And they don't necessarily need to rhyme, but there should be a kind of parallel quality between them. So, you know, characters in the same position, so the first character in the first line and the first character in the second line, and so on and so forth. There should be a kind of parallel quality in, in uh, meaning and syntactic function, mm -hmm. I guess, you know? So the role that they play in the sentence is is similar, I guess, as well. So do you want to do you want to uh, read us his poem? Yeah. Um, so I'll read the Hawks translation. So it it reads: Three pole thrust lengths of bankside willows green, one fragrant breath of bankside flowers sweet. And so green there is the same toy uh, that we've seen before, the um, the verdant peaks from the beginning. Mm. Um, the the Trejang. and the, yeah, the jade green, isn't it? And the uh, the the sweet there is Xiang. 
it's the kind of um like sweet but also fragrant fragrant isn't it a a fragrant like a sweet smell maybe uh, aromatic um yeah i like this as a poem i i i thought this one was very very good um so i mean i think it's worth just like dipping into the chinese to to understand it a bit more more deeply right because of the constraints of the seven character form you often get this this very terse quality where the sentences are shorter and denser than they would be if written out in ordinary vernacular and a kind of multiplicity of meaning i suppose or at least a certain ambiguity um like possibility of multiple interpretations but yeah i mean it's described as what Hawks describes as Bankside Willows is the first three characters. So Rao Di Liu. So Rao is to to surround or 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 you know entwine. Uh Di is a is like a, a bank, you know, the banks of a river. Mm-hmm. And Liu is the um willows. So the surrounding willows, uh the the willows on the surrounding banks, I suppose. And then it continues, uh Jia San Gao Tui. Um so uh san is three gao is a is a, a a pole used on a punt boat so you know there are some boats where instead of having an oar you just have a long pole which you push down into the riverbed uh to push the boat forward and then you pull it back up again and, and repeat it so you know uh you often see this with uh you know you've maybe seen pictures of boats in venice for example with italian men in in striped t-shirts and they push the boats along using poles. Uh, it's I think that's normally done with the same kind of sort of mechanic, I suppose. So yeah, it has san gao cui, so three pole lengths of jade greenness. Um, I was I kind of wanted to get your 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 interpretation of something because the middle character in this seven line, the the fourth character, is uh, jie, which usually means to borrow or lend. And it seems very out of context, uh, like out of, out of place here somehow. Somehow, so the the willows on the surrounding banks lend three poles of greenness, and that kind of I don't know. It didn't make that much sense to me. You know, I think in the hawks, that's simply what he is rendering as of. Yeah. Right. So like, it, like to lend in the sense of like by means of. Mm. Right, and so by means of is kind of just a long version of of, I think. I see, I see, and then the, then the the second line is go anhua, so the the separate banks or the the, the side by side banks, and then hua is flowers, so the flowers on the side by side banks, and this you can see is a parallel. So rao di liu, the willows on the the surrounding shores. And the go anhua, the flowers on the opposite banks. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's there's there's parallels between those two lines. Uh, they are fun yi mai xiang, so they're separated by a a something of fragrance. Uh, the something is this character mai, which really means like a blood vessel. You know, it's a vein or artery, right? But I suppose here it's used in the kind of figurative sense. I was kind of thinking of it as uh like a a line of flowers and that line would be the vein ah okay i'm not sure if that's right or not well that's what i mean about the kind of multiple multiple meanings because in the hawks he says he seems to be translating that 
the blood vessel word as a breath. So he says one fragrant breath of Bankside flowers sweet. Right. Um, which is certainly taking a bit more poetic license, although it, it makes it work right. very well. I want to look into, I, I want to see what other people say. I didn't have enough time to fully uh, hmm. see like a commentaries on this particular line, unfortunately. I was wondering, reading this, uh, what kind of poetic license was being, was the author employing? Because, I, I mean, this is obviously distant from us in terms of language and also time period. But I think even during the, the Qing dynasty, I think just hearing these these poems, you wouldn't necessarily know which words are being referenced because they are so terse. I do know in the in the nineteen eighty seven television adaptation, whenever there's a poem section, invariably they'll have the the words on the screen, in addition to the usual subtitles. Um, oh, interesting. Which is a, a very clear indication that modern audiences cannot simply, for the most part, just listen to this and know what's being said, um, because you know each each sound can correspond with so many different things um so we should somehow take as read that uh in addition to him merely saying them there may be also him kind of writing them out so that so that people know which character he means kind of thing uh, yeah i i mean i i wonder about that right or whether you know that would uh detract from the scene and so it's just kind of miraculously that everyone you know, this, this would be poetic license where you you just kind of imagine that everyone knows, uh, you know, he's using that chair, you know, or because just, yeah, just listening to this, I, I think you would be, you would be uh, at a loss. I, you know, I also think, I also think historically that when you would listen to uh, a lot of, you know, like opera and various um, musical productions that without having the uh, a, a score, a script to read along with, you wouldn't be able to know what they're saying. Even if, you know, you know, you are an historical personage and even if the language being used is contemporary to you, uh, just the medium, um, especially because you can't really sing tones. And so there's even more lost that, you know, you can preserve in poetry, no, no matter how terse it might be. I, I wonder if that's, Part of the part of what's being suggested, though, is that their appreciation of the poetry is not merely the meaning, but mm -hmm. the sound. And so, having it spoken aloud to them, they, although they may not be able to deduce exactly which characters he's referring to when he says, you know, Rao Di Leo or, mm -hmm. or or whatever, um, they think, does it sound nice to me? Does it does it have a poetic quality when read aloud? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I think that's that's my that's my sense as well. Yeah. They kinda of just get a, a feel for it. And you can even mm. if you don't understand every word, you can still sense that. And I would say it's the same thing for a lot of uh a lot of music or like hip hop. Uh you know, if it's if if, if the 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 singer is is speaking really quickly. You might not you might not understand every single word, but you can still appreciate the rhythm, uh, and the you know the overall the tone and the the flavor of the of the composition. Yeah. yeah.
after Bao Yu gives his poem, the literary gentleman is always a very full of praise, and his father seems kind of mostly unmoved, but it says a barely perceptible smile played over his lips. So they continue onward, stopping from time to time to admire the various rocks and flowers and trees which they pass on their way. And they reach a kind of uh, a walled retreat, don't they? A retreat surrounded by whitewashed walls. And beyond the walls, there is a thicket of hundreds of uh, stands of bamboo, uh, green bamboo. And they, yeah, as you say, follow a path through those, through that dense um, little forest of bamboo, finding a, a little house inside, right? Yeah. Um, I, I guess it's, it's described as a small retreat. The inside has a lot of, it's a very like, it's partitioned, but there are like open passageways between, between the spaces. Mm. I I can't imagine it exactly, but yeah, it says it's a tiny three-frame house. Uh, one part, sorry, two parts latticed, the third part windowless. Uh, and it, there there are some furnishings inside, specially made for the interior. But we imagine it's quite like a small and simple building. And then it's surrounded by it's surrounded by the bamboos, and there's a rear garden with broad-leaved plantains, and a flowering pear tree. You know, I wonder if this this kind of foliage, especially the the plantains, would this not be more appropriate for like a, a Nanjing setting rather than uh, like the, the Beijing weather? Yeah. Is that another kind of inconsistency that is alluding to either a, a truth that this is actually... Uh, a more southerly location or um, or it had intended to be but then there was some editing that occurred uh, I, th- I think so yeah I think you're you're right that it's improbable that these types of plants could grow in that more northerly climate because it would be too cold and I'm inclined to think it is as you suggest that he's hinting at uh, through this deliberate incongruity i suppose through this deliberately disbelievable thing he's hinting at that exactly that this is a he's telling a story but where the real events happened was in a in a different location i'm not sure about that that's that's very speculative but i would be interested to see what other people say about that i think i think it's believable my other my other view and it's not necessarily inconsistent with the first is that it's also intended to give this a kind of dreamlike quality because the garden is inconceivably massive uh, i mean we know that they have a large mansion and that part of the space of the part of the kind of area of the mansion of both the rong and ning mansions has been given over to building this garden but it's it still seems really improbably large uh and i i do think it's kind of a slight kind of narnia quality to it you know you pass through the gate uh and the space contained within far exceeds what you would imagine uh, from from without. Although maybe that's an artif- maybe that's a product of the design of um, you know maybe a a thoughtful design really could make a, a smaller space seem near infinite in size. It's true. So it could, of, it could be that as well. 
It could be All that right. as well. I, I was interested in Jajung's comment here, where it actually is a fairly thoughtful remark. We're given to think of him as this um, uptight, rigid Confucian, you know, divorced from pleasure and sensuous experience. Um, and he even describes himself in, in similar terms when he says he has no real capacity for writing poetry about, uh, you know, the mountains and the water. Yeah. Um, but he says, uh, this must be a pleasant place anytime, said Jajung with a smile. But just imagine what it would be like sitting beside the window here on a moonlit night. It is pleasures like that which make a man feel he has not lived in vain. Mm-hmm. Although at this moment, he, this idea of living in vain, he sort of like shoots a glance at uh, Bao Yu. And the implication is, it's very strange because the implication is as if Bao Yu is, you know, wasting his life away. But I mean... Bao Yu's a sensuous one. He, he's precisely the kind of person who would, you know, stare at the moon and, uh, you know, have a few drinks and then write, you know, some whimsical lines of poetry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so there's this weird tension in his remark. Mm. I, I don't know if that was intended by the author or not. I, I think so, though. I found myself fixated on this line, actually, because he uses very, very similar wording to a line uttered by... Baoyu a few chapters previously. So this is chapter 17 and in chapter 7 when Baoyu first meets his friend Qin Zhong who has just died they have this kind of shared experience on meeting one another. So Baoyu is by far the, the richer and kind of socially superior of the two whereas Qin Zhong's station is relatively low by comparison and they have this sense of wishing they were in the other's shoes and the sense of the grass being greener on the other side uh, when they when they behold each other and Baoyu kind of thinks you know this is a real person he lives a he lives a you know a real life he's a everything about him is true and honest whereas I live this life of luxury and we're so bound up in kind of I don't know the the trappings of wealth and and things, but all of that's just to cover our, you know, hideous, you know, rotten insides. You know, there's like a falseness or baseness to us who are so kind of wealthy compared to this poorer but much more kind of honest and true individual. He says, I wish I had known him sooner so that I would not have wasted my life. And the Chinese phrase is almost identical to the one used by um, Jia Zheng. Jia Zheng says, Yeah. So, and, you know, thereby not spend your life in vain. And Jia Zheng says, uh, So it's, it's very, very similar. The, the, the kind of meaning is very similar. And that's the same Wang that appears actually in the poem dedicated to Bao Yu in chapter five, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, Where he's, he's, being, uh, he's being pulled in vain in various directions mm. by his by his heartstrings. Yeah, I've just found the um I found the the hawks. So in chapter 7 when they meet, Baoyu says, "I could have been near him and got to know him, and my life would have been worth living." So it's a very similar sentiment although expressed in a different context and in, and in a different way. 
Um, but it's interesting to know what each of Baoyu and his father consider to be reasons for life to be worth living and, and things that would make life lived in vain. But yeah, you're right. There's definitely in his words a kind of implied criticism of his son's slovenliness or you know, lack of application to proper study. Right, but at the same time, you wouldn't be looking at the moon and thinking about uh, the Mungsa or something. I, I mean, <laughs> you would be thinking about you, you. You should be having poetic thoughts. That's like the, that's like the prime. That's the main uh, like function of the moon. Yeah, is to uh, is to inspire, uh, you know, the heart. I think <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, inspire poetic thoughts. Yeah. So this is round three. So what 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 do the uh, retainers have to offer? Mm. So here we need a four character kind of title description. So they offer two suggestions. One of them is where bends the chi. Uh, I'll just read aloud aloud from the hawks. Where bends the chi? Said one of them. No doubt having in mind the song in the poetry classic, which begins with the words. See in that nook where bends the chi, the green bamboos, how graceful grown. No, said Jia Zhang, too obvious. North of the Sui, said another, evidently thinking of the ancient rabbit garden of the Prince Liang in Suiyang, also famous for its bamboos and running water. No, said Jia Zhang, still too obvious. And so it's at this point that, that uh, Bao Yu is asked to step in. And I just mentioned here that when he says obvious in the Hawks, he's using that term su that we mentioned before, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, un- unoriginal, vulgar, lacking in that miao quality. Yeah. Too coarse, too common. And so these are all like, like ancient literary references. Uh, I believe Qi Shui Yifeng, where Ben's a Qi is a reference to the Book of Poetry the Shijing, whereas uh, Bao Yu's reference is from the, the classic of history, um, which is maybe a little surprising. You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily think that Bao Yu would spend as much time on that that work as it emphasizes honor and uh, proper the, the conduct of kings and ministers that kind of thing. And so maybe uh, like Bao Yu is. Uh, straining to impress here. So his is uh, Yo Feng Lai Yi. Um, and this, to me, is uh, it's like very big, like rap battle energy, you know? It's like he's asked to like throw down and he does, you know, like he, yeah. he really like pulls it out of the bag. Um, and the literary gentlemen are, uh, are very impressed. <laughs> but his, you know, his uh his father maybe less so uh so he again says okay so recite a couplet for me i suppose we should talk just briefly about what this phoenix these four characters are so hawks translates it as the phoenix dance right Mm -hmm. and it seems to be as you said it's taken from uh the the history classic is this this is uh shang shu right yeah or it's also known as the shu jing Okay. It's the same text. And um and so there's one particular section which is uh talking about so in in the, the kind of ancient Chinese tradition and in kind of Confucian texts 
music is very important uh, and that kind of appropriate music when done appropriately kind of leads to a sort of harmony it has a, it takes on something almost like a kind of mystical or magical quality I, I, it seems to me anyway mm-hmm. so I mean that the section here says when the sounding stone is tapped or struck with force and the lutes are strongly swept or gently touched to accompany the singing the progenitors of this song come to the service the guest is in his place and all the princes show their virtue in giving place to one another there are the flutes and the hand drums which join in at the sound of the rattle and cease at that of the stopper when the organ and the bells take their place this makes birds and beasts fall moving when the ninth of the ten parts of the service have been performed the male and female phoenix come with their measured gambolings into the court basically so this music when performed correctly kind of incites this action in in animals and in the natural world and when it reaches almost its climax that is when the phoenixes emerge to dance you know and that kind of symbolizes you know this it's the male and the female phoenix so i I guess it's an orderly form of uh of sensuous behavior uh it's all in this context i think of a notion of music in a broader sense as a it's like this kind of ritual this like lee Mm. that is um organizing all of society where you have you know the harmonizing of primary and secondary components uh you know the tonic and the supporting parts um and it's it's very much uh ordered but again i i think uh organically so maybe that that's the that's the ideology at least yeah yeah absolutely and it's it's there's a kind of implication that all is all is well within the emperor's realm you know Mm mm-hmm yeah yeah so like order in the sense yeah like of a balance yeah which again has a a kind of aesthetic implication to it well we might even say harmony colors are balanced i think harmony is the most appropriate one isn't it because right it it has a musical connotation notes are harmonized yeah yeah there's there's no chaos and or or any chaos has been resolved at least yeah and so uh nice one bao yu yeah uh (laughs) He then is required to go and compose another seven-character couplet, isn't he? To accompany uh, the, the phoenix dances. The phoenix dance. And his choice here is a little bit interesting, a little bit off. It almost, it read to me as if maybe he didn't really believe in the original image. And this is in the back of his mind, the kind of... uh the symbols and symbolism that he prefers uh, because it, it really, it's a little bit uh, incongruous with this, you know, what we just read, what, what you just read from the, from the classic of history. Yeah. Um, and so Bao Yu recites the following couplet uh, from the empty cauldron, the steam still rises after the brewing of tea by the darkening window, the fingers are still cold after the game of Go. So it's a nice line. It's very, I, I think it's its fitting for how this space might actually be used, right? You can imagine that this would be a good place to play games, perhaps. Um, and to maybe in the morning brew, 
brew a big pot of tea for everyone in attendance. But maybe a lot of the the formality is lost, right? It's become very familiar all of a sudden. It's a little bit jarring in my mind. You're right. They're they're incongruous. The the one is very ritualistic and formal, and the other is much more kind of domestic and intimate. This actually, for me, makes me think back to the earlier name about the winding path leading to the secluded place. Yes. Yeah. It strikes me that this is the secluded place. So we're we're in a little building. It's a kind of uh, a, a sort of neat, nice little uh, cottage, almost. And it's surrounded by uh, by kind of thick, dense green bamboo. Uh, so you feel that it's kind of quite shaded and cool. And so I think that that's kind of referred to in... It's not clear in the Hawks, but in the, in the Chinese, the steam from the tea is described as green, you know? So it says... So the, the, the steam that can be smelled from the tea is still, is still green-coloured. And I think that that is suggesting that somehow the light streaming through the bamboo has become kind of infused or impregnated with the, the greenness of it. And then that's kind of transferring to the, to the tea steam itself. Mm-hmm. And the coldness of the fingers after playing Go, I think, is also the same, right? You're in this... You're in this quiet little spot where very little sunlight gets in and so even though it might be blazing sunshine outside in here it's it's cold enough to make your you know your fingers a bit make your fingers kind of seize up with the cold slightly i suppose that image reminds me a little bit of the the kind of the rosy clouds of sunset that uh we we've talked about in the past where it is you know the way the light yeah the way the light intermingles with uh, some kind of physical form to yeah, impregnate it with light yeah. for this one kind of fleeting moment. It is a nice image, um, but it's much more natural, I would say, than the sort of the orchestration of reality according to this, um, this very like boisterous ritual music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite a contrast. Um... And there's no indication of, you know, the, the the male and female phoenix coming together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's less of a performance. It's it's a, it's very much again a, a secluded scene of serenity. I, I think, if you might permit me, I think it would be helpful to have for contrast an example of what very bad poetry sounds like in Chinese. Oh no! <laughs> and this is a good moment as any to do it because the comparison is, oh, okay. is somewhat clear. Is is quite the comparison here is quite. So there's a there was a, a 20th century Chinese poet uh, called Zhang Zongchang, and his poems are kind of notoriously bad. He wasn't really a poet by calling; he was actually a warlord, but he did poetry on the side. And he has one called uh, "You Peng Lai Go," so "You Traveling to Peng Lai" being a kind of spirit creature. And Goa being a word for a building, something like this kind of cottage, I would have think thought of this cottage as also being within the kind of Goa category. So it reads, "How go pong lai Goa, ta ma zhen bu cuo, shen xian neng dao de, an ye zuo yi zuo." So you can hear that it rhymes and it fits the kind of. Whereas the the poetry we've seen so far is seven characters per line, this is five characters per line. Those first lines translate as kind of like 
Good Fairy's Palace. Really fucking not bad. Um, <laughs> if if spirits can come here, then I can also have a seat. And then it continues. Kao chuang ba xia jiu, dui hai chang gao ge, lai lai cai ji quan, jiu zi pa he duo. So, um, sitting by the window, I put down the bottle of wine and I sing loudly over, like, towards the sea. Uh, come and play rock, paper, scissors with me, unless you're scared of getting drunk. Uh, <laughs> so, so, I mean, it's bad enough to almost be, like, doggerel, really. Um, but I think it's quite interesting because some of the imagery is similar. So the idea of the kind of secluded house in the in the kind of wilderness in this mysterious place far away from human civilization and there's the playing of games uh and the drinking as well so whereas in in the novel it's the the steam of the tea and playing go by the window here he's drinking wine and the thing i described as rock paper scissors it's called uh the chinese name is tsai quan and it's really a a guess how many fingers game um, that you'll often see people playing, uh, you know, in nightclubs and bars as a drinking game. But yeah, I think that that's sort of, I think it, in order better to be able to appreciate what good poetry sounds like in Chinese, it's important to know what bad sounds <laughs> like. And this, I think, is really, yeah, really quite a long way down there. It's kind of the bottom of the barrel. Is there any indication, if he's a warlord, is there any indication that perhaps uh, this was like a marching song or something oh maybe i've not know. thought of that uh, i'm not sure to be honest and and I, I wonder genuinely whether he mistakenly thought he was a good poet or like the vogons in the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy he knew exactly how bad his poetry was and deliberately inflicted it on people like knowing it would cause them suffering <laughs> it's difficult to know it's clear that jajung is unimpressed with this couplet and he kind of he kind of smirks in in like a kind of uh, self reassured way. Like I always knew, you know, you you weren't really capable of this yeah. or anything. Like that was the uh, the sense I, I yeah. got here. Nothing very remarkable about that, he says in the Hawks tradition and in the translation. And um, and yeah, you're right. He's he's reassuring himself. Um, I guess we could talk a little bit about, you know, what's the deal with this, with this father? Is he, uh, is he operating under the idea that he doesn't want to spoil your kid? Don't make him too proud. Is this actually, is it important that no matter how good your son's poetry is, you, you have to criticize it? You always have to bring him down is a couple of notches. Is that the moral of the story? Uh, well, or... what do we know about their relationship? <laughs> we know that there is a, there are two different streaks, perhaps, in the in this branch of the family. There is the the very kind of morally upright and correct streak, exemplified by men like Jia Zheng, uh, and for example Jia Dairu, the the teacher in the school, who's who's a very similar kind of character in being kind of stern. Uh, and then you have a much more kind of louche character type, much more interested in their own pleasures and not much interested in propriety or, uh, you know, any of those sorts of things. Uh, I guess best typified by Jia Zheng's own brother, Jia She, right? Uh, okay, I mean, we yeah. hear that he is, you know, he's completely abdicated any responsibility for, 
running the household. He indulges in a lot of uh, like worldly uh, pleasures, in contrast with the the patriarch from the Ning household, who is, you know, indulging in pseudo otherworldly uh, pursuits, as you know, a runaway uh, Taoist monk. Yeah, I wonder if there's kind of an oblique parallel uh, going on there. So we have the three kind of choose your fighter, choose your paternal yeah. fighter, as yeah. it were. I think I think that's right. Um, and and what else do we know? We know that everyone had very high hopes for Bao Yu when he was born with this precious stone in his mouth. But then at a young age, Jia Zheng, when when Bao Yu was still a baby, Jia Zheng had arranged around him all of these different objects to see which ones he would choose, in the hope that he would show, even in this infant state. Uh, a tendency towards kind of scholarly learning and stuff, I suppose. But we learn he actually wasn't much interested in that, right? Right. He chooses uh, a few a few items of like uh, female yeah, cosmetics. Yeah. I think. So I, I have the text here, which is again a kind of ornamentation, yeah. right? So which is not entirely inconsistent with um, the Y tie that is. Uh, poetic verbalizing yeah a kind of chaotic quality you know so poetry in the jia zheng model is very much uh a complement to the mind of the kind of orderly upright confucian scholar governor hmm. you know but to bao yu but to bao yu the poetry is like um is is art in the way that we properly understand it now as something kind of done by people who are outside of the mainstream or conventional behavior people who are kind of contrary okay. somehow to received wisdom and 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 norms of behavior yeah i mean yeah i think you're right in that um maybe poetry does occupy this sort of like again like a liminal space between uh confucian order and like a taoist expressionism Right, and we saw this actually in chapter nine when Bao Yu's on his way to the school f for the first time, and his teacher actually is berated by Jia Zheng for um, you know like Bao Yu hasn't been studying, and what he has been studying has been the uh, the book of poetry again, and so it, I, I think it is the same kind of weird uh, because it is this liminal form. Yeah, like even like Jajan gets confused a little bit. He doesn't quite get that this is part of the the system, and this might even be a part of the examination system, where you know it, it, there's not going to be a poetry section, but it, it might be a part of the the essay yeah. form. I think. Yeah. Um, I think that that's right. It's a reflection of their different attitudes to scholarship and study and art, I suppose. So that's that's very relevant for this. Yeah, I guess I've been taking this this chapter in that kind of that kind of direction, that interpretation. But you know, it's just really fun. It's fun to uh, kind of pour through these, you know, these descriptions, these all these references. It's been pretty difficult reading, especially in the original. Uh, but it's like it's been worth it. I think. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, it, it's ugh. at this time, I find it very frustrating. But going back through it now together having done that work it's much more 
you get a much more in-depth understanding i think i i feel that way right if we're gonna i think if we're gonna read some like really ornate classical literature it might mm. as well be this right this is this is definitely the you know the the top grade you know even if it is uh you know the top graded like gilded uh form yeah okay so, so any uh any final, final well next comments? time we will finish off the remaining poems finish our tour of the garden and see what happens in the back half of the chapter uh beyond beyond the garden yeah we're 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 having to devote quite a lot of time to this because it is just such a such a kind of substantial and weighty chapter right and this garden it's not a one-off thing this is going to be a really important space uh where a lot of really significant events yep. are going to occur um and so it's really going to pay off uh patience is a virtue and an art in this chapter and in next episode we're going to have a there's also going to be a quick moment uh Dayu is going to make a a brief but uh meaningful appearance yeah. as always um so there's a lot to look forward to uh thank you for listening once again this has been rereading the stone uh if you know we love to hear from everybody so uh you can get in contact with us we are pretty active on twitter at rereading stone uh we also have a facebook page facebook.com slash rereading the stone so until next time uh take care stay safe and uh goodbye bye bye